Pittsburgh sports fans, welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Another episode of Back Through the Tunnel. I am Jeff Hartman, your host here for the PMDK Pittsburgh Sports Radio Podcast. Remember, you can find us anywhere that you find your podcast: Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, you name it, we're there. You search DK Pittsburgh Sports or... For instance, we're talking Steelers today. If you type in Steelers podcast on iTunes, you'll even find our podcast platform there. Don't forget DK's Daily Shot in the morning. But tonight, again, or today, again, I'm saying we're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's right. It's, it's training camp. It looks like it's on the horizon. I bring in Dale Lolly to talk about that and some more. Dale, what's going on? How you doing, Jeff? I can't complain. I, I'm excited for sports to be back. I got to be honest. I mean, just reading about the Pirates being at PNC Park, and I know there's a lot of pessimism about the return of sports, but for now, it's just exciting to see some actual sports being reported on. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, you know, the people who are pessimistic about this, um, there is way too much money involved for there not to be sports of some kind. Uh, the, the players stand to lose way too much money. The owners stand to lose way too much money. And for the rest of us, we plan to lose our – we would lose our sanity if we don't have some sports. Yeah. And so the, the NFL is slated to be back on, in the end of July is when they're, they're targeting for training camp. Obviously, training camp is going to look dramatically different than it has for the Steelers, and we're going to talk about that in our second segment. But I want to start the show off today talking about an article that you wrote yesterday, Monday. Monday morning it ran. It was a great article about Matt Canada. And it's an interesting character because it was a really well-done article. But, Dale, you've never even talked to this guy yet, have you? No, not officially. I mean, I, I, I you know, had a couple of words with him when he was at Pitt uh, back in 2016 because, of course, they, they share a facility with the Steelers. Uh, but that's been it, uh, you know, for, for all that, you know, Ike Hilliard as well. We still haven't had a chance to talk to him. Uh, haven't spoken with any of the assistant coaches for the Steelers this entire offseason. Uh, I hope that changes <laughs> and according to the, the, the rules that were put out uh, by the uh, Pro Football Writers of America on Saturday that, that were sent to all of us. Uh, those assistants are going to be made available to us. Uh, it, we just haven't had an opportunity to talk to them yet, so I haven't had a chance to pick his brain or even you know, kind of get an idea of, of what he thinks he can bring to the Steelers. Uh, but certainly, you know, talking to uh, a number of the players about him and Mike Tomlin, uh, they feel like he can bring a lot. Well, let's be honest. The fan base, and Dale, you're tuned into the fan base just like I am. They view Matt Canada as an offensive coordinator in waiting. They can't stand Randy Feetner. They think he's awful. Let's forget about the that's fact that in 2000... Every, Jeff, that's every Steelers offensive coordinator. <laughs> you're right. You are right. You're very true. Forget the fact that... In, in 2018, the Steelers boasted the best red zone offense in the NFL, and Randy Feetner was calling the plays. But without their star quarterback, future Hall of Famer, they think the guy should be gone. Now, let me ask you one question, and I don't know if you know this for sure. I mean, you probably do. What do the Steelers do? You hear this all the time on other teams. So-and-so was hired to coach the offensive line and be the run game coordinator. So-and-so is going to be the pass game coordinator, and those both fall underneath the offensive coordinator. And there were rumors that the Steelers lost their run game coordinator 
when Mike Munchak went to Denver. Do the Steelers occupy those positions or I should, yeah, yeah. Do they have those coaches that are considered the run game coordinators or is it more, I guess I'm trying to get a feel for how the, the Steelers organization in terms of coaching staff handles things like offensive game plans. They essentially gave Munchak the uh, quote unquote run game coordinator title so they could give him a little bit more money. Ah, okay. um, all their coaches have a, a hand in plan, you know, the game planning and doing those things. And certainly the offensive line coach, regardless of who it is, has a big hand in creating, you know, what run plays they're going to work uh, or going to use in a given week. I mean, that's just the natural progression of things. They don't have, uh, if you look at some of the staffs around the league, um, I actually did this a few weeks ago when I, when I was doing a story on, on how many assistant coaches each, uh, I wasn't doing a story particularly on how many assistant coaches each team had, but I wanted to count and see how many uh, each team had. And there are a number of teams who have a guy who does nothing, but he's the run game coordinator. This guy's the passing game coordinator. What the heck does the offensive coordinator do then? Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, so they, they delegate things well. The Steelers, I believe, uh, when I counted that up, had 19 uh, coaches on their staff, uh, which is actually more than what I thought it was. Uh, but that includes, you know, strength and conditioning guys and those kind of things. Um, it's still on the low end. Uh, of of the coaching uh, of if, when you look around the league number of coaches of some teams have as many as 25 26 um you know I, I believe the Patriots uh had 17 or 18 so it just depends on a team but to, to get back to your point um if you if you you know they they take input from everybody and obviously the 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 offensive line coach is, is very involved in the run game the quarterback's coach is very involved in the passing game um, what they're going to run, um, you know, so I expect, you know, that Canada is going to have a big hand in, in, you know, deciding what plays they are, you know, are going to run each week and certainly helping to do that. Um, you know, I, what I have never been able to, to uh, ascertain is if, you know, what, what kind of role Sean Surrett played last year in his first year as, as you know, an, a full-time, uh, you know, head assistant, uh, you know, running a, a position room. You know, he had been a long-time, you know, assistant to the uh, offensive line coach. So, you know, he sat in and, and, and I'm sure game-planned a lot with Munchak. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how much of that, you know, he coordinated the run game last year. Um, you know, you could just look at it and say, well, really nobody coordinated the run game last year because it was awful. Uh, but so much of that was, you know, because they fo faced so many loaded boxes and, uh, you know, had, had young running backs in there. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they bring Canada into this thing. Uh, they've already they already used jet sweep motions and jet sweeps uh, as part of their offense. Uh, Deontay Johnson did that several times last year, uh, but I expect them to do it more. Um, and, and we'll see how much of the college game he brings to the Steelers' offense. I know that was one of the things when they hired uh, Tom Bradley uh, a couple years ago. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin openly talked about how they could bring some of the college concepts into their defense uh, because you're seeing, you're seeing so much more of the, of the spread stuff coming into the, uh, the NFL game. So they, you know, they talked about, you know, having a guy on, on the staff who's faced a lot of that stuff. Well, now they have an offensive mind who has faced or who has drawn up some of this stuff as well. So uh, Tomlin says it all the time. They don't care where the good ideas come from. They just want the good ideas. They don't care who gets the credit. So it's going to be interesting. 
speaking of Tomlin and his staff, and you brought up the numbers, this is a quick sidebar. Do you think that having a smaller coaching staff is any way a positive or even a negative in when it comes to dealing with your team? I mean, you said that some teams have over 25 staff members and that's including strength and conditioning, but if, if the Steelers are definitely on the low end of that list. Uh, maybe not the smallest staff, like you said, I think the Patriots are there, but you think that's a positive or a negative or does it not even matter? You know, I, I think sometimes you can have too many cooks in the kitchen. And so the more voices you have in there, uh, it can be a detriment at times. I also think that, you know, you, you have to find a, a, a nice balance because you bring 90 guys into training camp every year, and we'll see what, what that number is this year. And one of the toughest things that you have to do throughout the entire offseason is you've got 90 guys, you know, that you're working with, and you know that probably 60 of them have no chance on making – or not 60, but I'm sorry, 30 of them have no chance of making your roster yet you still have to work with those guys. Um, one of the things that the Steelers do uh, every year to kind of offset that is they bring in some former players or they bring in coaching interns to work with players, uh, you know, uh, so they can have more individual, uh, you know, work with coaches. So there, there's always a lot of uh, guys there to help them out, even when they, you know, they, they don't have the necessarily the same numbers as everybody else. Um, I don't know what – the proper number of coaches is. I really don't. Right. Uh, you know, I've, I've just, I've covered this team for 28 years. I know what they have. Their staff now is bigger than it's ever been. So there's that. Uh, but, but at the same time, it, it's, it's still smaller than most staffs. Do you feel, can this, this ties into Canada and his new role as the quarterback's coach. Do you feel like it's been a disservice to the depth at quarterback, mainly Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges, not having a quarterback's coach, it still does boggle my mind that they kind of gave that to Randy Feetner and said, you have to be the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. Maybe I'm way out of base here, but I was always thinking to myself, you have two young guys, boy, having a coach that could really focus on them and work with them. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that, well, Randy's going to work with them a lot anyways? Yeah. I mean, your offensive coordinator is, is very tied in with your quarterbacks regardless. Um, and if you want sit and watch a practice, Fichtner spends all of his time with the quarterbacks. So it's not like he was, you know, just not paying any attention to the quarterbacks at all. Um, that was what he did for a long time. He is, he, you know, he was the quarterbacks coach before he was elevated to offensive coordinator. Um, I, I look at it to me where you miss having the quarterbacks coach might be on game day. Um, you know, somebody, their, you know, their footwork was a little wrong on something or something like that. But those are things that you can, you can correct as an offensive coordinator as well, even though you, you kind of have to have the – you're overseeing the big picture of everything. I look at it a little bit like, the, you know, you see a lot of head coaches uh, who still call their own plays. To me, that's a bigger issue if you look around the NFL. Those guys, um, you know, because when you're the head coach, you have to be involved with time management. You have to be involved with, okay, what's, what's the defense doing right now? What's our situation? Um, you know, Andy Reid has been, has been killed over the years for his clock management. Well, Andy Reid's also his own play caller. So to expect him to, to have an idea of everything that's going on, there are so many things that are going on in a head coach's mind uh, to also be a play caller. That, that, to me, is a much bigger deal than having a coach who's your offensive coordinator slash uh, quarterback's coach. At the same time, it's never a bad idea to have 
you know, to, to be able to delegate a little bit of that to somebody else. Okay, so Matt Canada comes to Pittsburgh, and he's the quarterback's coach, but my gosh, does this guy have some ties with the players on the team? We're talking Jalen Samuels. We're talking James Conner. Anthony McFarland was drafted out of Maryland. He was with him there at some time. Everything you heard from these players in these interviews that you've had with them throughout the offseason has been glowing. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, they all love him, and I wouldn't expect them to come out and say, yeah, he's – He's a jerk. I hate him. <laughs> Anything like that. that uh, awesome. You know, there's also the, the ties with Mike Tomlin. Um, you know, not only did, did Matt Canada work next door and therefore, you know, has, has met and talked with basically the entire Steelers staff because it rarely changes a whole lot. Uh, but, you know, he helped recruit Mike Tomlin's son, Dino, to, to Maryland. So, um, you know, they're very – he is very well known to the people inside that building, and that's why this was kind of a natural hire. The, the pit staff, and you, you know, you've mentioned it, and um, Mike did as, as well when I had a pot head on the podcast two weeks ago. Is there a lot of interaction between the Steelers and, and the pit football programs being in the same facility, or are they kind of just over on their own sides? Like, I've never actually been in that physical structure, so I'm asking you from your experience what that what is that like that, that in, involvement? Yeah, I mean, you'll see the the pit coaches like you know, Dave Wanstat would come over and, and, and chat with uh. With Bill Cower or Mike Tomlin or whoever the coach was, I can't remember when Juan Stat was there. But I think it was Tomlin. Um, you you see it with Pat Narduzzi and his staff will come over and, and talk talk with guys and and so you know Mark Whipple, uh, who's Pitt's offensive coordinator, uh, was Ben Roethlisberger's first quarterbacks coach with the Steelers. So he comes over and chats with uh, those guys all the time. And the players, uh, the Pitt players, will come out and watch practice. Uh, it's a great. Uh, tool for the for those kids they can you know sit there and watch and see what an NFL practice looks like um, there's only been one coach uh, one pit coach that didn't want anything to do with the Steelers um, and he was only there for a year so you can kind of guess who that who that coach was uh, you know he wanted everything separate from the Steelers not realizing that that's a great recruiting tool for him uh, yeah. to be able to to you know go over and and sell, hey, we share a building with, with a professional football team, uh, you know, and they have their practice fields right next to ours. So, you know, I, I think you see a lot of that interaction. You see Mike Tomlin a lot of times, he knows who the good foot pit football players are. Uh, you'll see him joking with those guys uh, when, as they walk, you know, off the field and things of that nature. Um, he'll talk to them. Uh, so it's, it's always, there's, there's always some interaction there. Last Canada question before we go into our first break. In the article that you wrote, I was, I, you know, I've, I've heard everything. You know, I read there was Sports Illustrated did a really interesting dig on him when he took a year off and he wasn't coaching anywhere last season. And they're like, he, he's kind of like a mysterious guy. Everywhere he goes, he kind of just morphs into something else. And everyone knows him for his very intricate, but you brought up the jet sweeps, the pre-snap movement. He's very big into that. He wants to try to tip the defense's hand or create mismatches. But you brought up how wherever he's gone, they've run the ball extremely well. Do you think he's going to have a bigger impact when it comes to the Steelers' running game? Or do you think it's going to be in the passing game and being creative? I think it's going to be in the run game. I honestly do. Just, you know, from the fact that they want to run the ball, not more, but more effectively. And I think, you know, when you, when you get some of that jet sweep motion, uh, yes, you can hand off to the, you know, to the, to the wide receiver. And Deontay Johnson averaged 10 yards uh, a carry last season. Uh, but you can also, as you mentioned, tip the hand of the defense. You know, see, does somebody follow that guy in motion? Uh, okay, now they're in man. Uh, 
Um, I, you know, and I think it takes, it, it takes, a, you know, I, I think it freezes the defense a little bit and therefore gets them back on their heels a little more than they would necessarily be. And so I, I think he can have a big, be a big factor in the run game uh, as much as the passing game. So I, I, th I think this is uh, going to be an interesting hire. Um, I, I, I do always wonder about the coaches who have bounced around a lot in their careers like this, uh, like Canada has. Um, you know, you always have that concern. Is this guy, uh, is he just looking for his next job? Is he looking to, to continue to move up? Now, obviously, quarterback coach in the NFL is a, is a pretty prestigious uh, job, um, no matter how you look at it. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen with the, the Rooney rule, uh, you know, and, and when they were tweaking it this spring, is that, um, you know, the NFL wants minority hires in the quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator, yeah. defensive coordinator. Those are the jobs, um, those are the positions that are viewed as future head coaches. Uh, around the league. So um, I just wonder how long Matt Canada is going to be here. Is this a long-term job for him or is this just another stop? It's going to be interesting to see. It's also going to be interesting to see with the lack of off-season workouts in regards to not being with him. I mean, I'm sure they've had virtual meetings, but there's been no physical repetitions. How will that impact that? And we're going to talk about that protocol that's been released for training camp and a potential preseason right after this break. And welcome back. Back through the tunnel. Here we are, Dale Lolly talking Steelers and the NFL. Dale, I, I know you saw this, and I wrote the article yesterday for the website that the NFL has released their testing protocol for training camp and the preseason. I, I say that intentionally because never, nowhere did I see in the report did it state that this was going to be for the regular season. I'm, I'm sure that they're going to maybe make some tweaks, some changes. Before we get to that, I want to make one blanket statement, you know, because I – Obviously, as writers of DKPittsburghSports.com, we're, ta we're tasked with checking our articles to see comments of the readers. And on Twitter, it's just relentless. I want to make something very clear. For the people out there, and if you're listening this far into the podcast, I doubt you're one of them. If you're someone that says, oh my gosh, just cancel everything. Why are we writing? Why are we talking about this? Well, if we sat here, Dale and I as the Steelers writers for the, for the website and said, well, there might not be a season. We're just not going to write anything. We wouldn't be doing our jobs. Just like if we didn't do these podcasts, I wouldn't be doing my job. So we're always going to assume that there's going to be football, whether it's you know with fans or without fans. And like Dale mentioned at the top of the show, there's a lot of money with this game. And I know it's just a game, but a lot of it comes down to the health of the players. And that's where this protocol comes in. Now, I don't know if you got a chance to really dig into it. It's very unique in what I've seen compared to some other teams. Uh, they, they definitely are doing some contact tracing. For instance, if they're around people that were positive, they have to be tested. If they're negative for eight days, they have increased testing and also like temperature checks more often to make sure that they are not going to have any signs or symptoms. They have to get tested off more often. If they test positive, they go into one or two categories, asymptomatic or symptomatic. If you're symptomatic, meaning you have the fever, the cough, the sore throat, et cetera, 
then you're 10 days right away, isolation, quarantined away. And then after 72 hours after your symptoms have gone away, you're able to come back. Now, if you're asymptomatic, this is where it became interesting to me. They're not treating every positive the same way. If you're asymptomatic, that meant that when you come back, you're going to be tested. So they're going to make you stay out for five days, even if you, if you test positive. When you come back after the five days, if you have two negative tests after 24 hours between each, then you're cleared to go. Now, Dale, my question for you is, with the NFL, it's all based on a, on a week. This isn't like the NHL, NBA, or Major League Baseball. It all comes down to that week. Do you think there's any way that the NFL will alter their protocol, and this is going to sound awful, to make it so that if someone is asymptomatic and test positive, they could be back for the next game the next week on a regular week? I do not, and here's why. There, there's kind of some precedent set for this with the concussion protocol. You're right. That's, there's a lot of uh, you know, if, if you look at the concussion protocol, the earliest, the earliest, if you suffer a concussion in a game, typically the earliest you can get back on the football field if you, ha if you showed uh, positive signs of, of any kind of uh, brain trauma would be the following Friday. Uh, and now, you know, when, you, when I say that, a lot of people say, well, yeah, but that's, that's rushing them back. Really isn't. They have to jump through a lot of hoops. Yeah. To, to get back. And I've written about this in the past. I mean, there, there's a, a set, much like what, the, what this is, a very strict set of guidelines that you have to follow to get that person back on the field. And I can guarantee you this, nobody's going to want to rush a player back into their facility who's tested positive for COVID because the next thing you know, they've now infected other members of your team. And just because the first person was asymptomatic doesn't mean that the next one will be right so right. i think they're going to be very strict about this and i think they're going to follow this uh, you know to the letter of the law uh and you can look at that concussion guidelines as you know the the rules as, as the the guidelines for this um you know most most of the time if a guy suffers the concussion on a sunday uh he does not get cleared until the following saturday uh and that's if it, you know just a that's a you're, I, I, I'm using air quotes here, a minor concussion. Um, you know, the guys who suffer, uh, most of them end up missing the next week as well. The one thing I think that the professional sports leagues across the board need to get together, and you're reading about this on Monday, I read about this, was the testing is not, they're, they're not organized or whatever the case may be, but the Major League Baseball is having some real issues with this, not so much the positive tests. I thought that the, the Major League Baseball, the first week of their joint testing was 1.2%, which is not bad out of the 3,000 plus that were tested positive, that were tested. But you have the Washington Nationals who had to cancel a, a workout because they hadn't had their test results back yet. The Oakland Athletics, the person that's supposed to do the testing didn't show up. I mean, these are things – I know they're the first team that's really going back. And so, in a lot of ways, they're going to be the guinea pig and they're going to be the whipping boy, so to speak, for things that could go wrong. But, my gosh, like they're going to have to get their act together. And then, Dale, did you hear about the PGA player and his positive test and what happened after? Cameron Champ is his name? No, I didn't. What happened with that one? So, Cameron Champ was getting ready to play in the Travelers tournament and i follow golf i'm a big golfer i love golf so i, I knew that i have read the story he tested positive and so they said okay you have to go home you have to withdraw from the event you're going to have to quarantine blah 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 
The next two days, he was tested on consecutive days, and both tests were negative. So you test positive on, let's say, Wednesday. He goes home, is tested on Thursday, tested on Friday, negative, negative. There's some questions there, you know? (laughs) Here's the thing that I'm hearing about the, the, the coronavirus testing that they're doing. Uh, my wife just said to have it done for work. Uh, she works in a, a senior care facility in their therapy department. And so they finally just tested all the people in her building uh, last week. And one of the things that she found out about this is that if you've had a cold that was caused by the coronavirus, which is about, I believe, 25% to 30, you know, to one third of uh, all, all uh, regular colds are caused by coronavirus. Um, you can test positive for COVID-19 just by having the anti, you know, just by having had a cold or, you know, if you're, if you currently have a cold. So, you know, there's some, there's some things there that, uh, you know, we're we're still trying to figure out with these tested tests for, for this virus. Um, It's changing on a regular basis. Uh, I would expect that the NFL, um, you know, they have another month here before they, essentially before they have to uh, to start doing these things on a regular basis. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all works. Um, I know the NHL uh, with their pods everywhere are making reporters uh, who are traveling to Canada take two weeks. They have to, they have to go to Canada essentially and sit in their room for two weeks before they're able to go cover these uh, hockey games. Uh, uh, That just boggles my mind. Uh, You know, the, the, uh, Pro Football Writers of America put out their guidelines um, that they've talked with the league about on Saturday for how we're going to cover things. And, you know, they're, each, each team's only going to be allowed to have 10 media members in their facility on a daily basis. Uh, and those media members are going to have to be tested every time they walk into a building. I don't know what those tests are going to look like. I don't know if we're going to get the, uh, the, you know, the Q-tip jammed up our nose every day, if they're just going to test uh, you know test or take our, our temperatures I have no idea we'll find out as this uh, this whole thing goes on but the NFL is going to be very diligent about this um, they have time they don't play their first game until the second week of September um, you know so this thing will continue to be you know they talk about the Constitution being a, a living document um, this these guidelines that the that the league put out these initial guidelines are going to be a living breathing document this thing is going to change. Uh, as they find things out about this virus. For your sake, I hope it's a saliva test and not the <laughs> cotton swab jammed up your, to the back of your brain. Uh, or just the temperature check would be good too, for your sake. But uh, speaking of season, the preseason has been a constant debate. You know, I, I wrote the article when I saw the NFL is like, we're going to cut it from four games to two. We're going to eliminate week one and week four. That makes sense. Because then you're going to allow more of an acclimation period for players to get back into shape. They didn't have those OTAs. They didn't have minicamp. And then at the end of the preseason, they're going to have time to, to continue to get acclimated, but they're going to have a little bit of a, a window there without that competition. Then all of a sudden, the NFLPA unanim- unanimously votes that they do not want any preseason. Dale, what's the best case scenario, in your opinion, for the NFL and the preseason, or if there is one? They're going to play two preseason games. If you took a vote every year with the NFLPA on whether or not there should be a preseason, they would vote every year not to have one. They don't ever want to play preseason games <laughs> because you're, you're, you know, seriously, uh, you're opening yourself up to injury for a game in which you get paid, 
you know, in most cases, a tenth of what you get uh, for the regular season. Um, you know, they just don't want to play preseason games. Uh, so that didn't surprise me. Uh, I get it. They can use that uh, this year and say, hey, we, we didn't have any OTAs. There was nothing in the offseason. We need this time to, to get ready to, to play. Uh, but to expect teams and especially coaches to agree to, to play no preseason games, um, I just don't see that happening because, uh, you know, the coaches are going to want to see these guys. How are, you, how are you assessing who can play and who can't in September when you don't get an opportunity to see them play on a football field in, in August? Um, you know, you're not – the Steelers do some tackling at their, uh, at their training camps. Most teams don't do any. So, you know, you can have guys who look great running around when you know you're not going to get hit. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, when, the, when, the, when people start hitting them, receivers start dropping balls. Um, you know, quarterbacks uh, panic in those situations. So you have to have some degree of game-type situations, and you're not going to have any practices against other teams this year. So where, where's that, where, where are they going to make those kind of uh, decisions at? There has to be some kind of preseason. Yeah, I agree with you. Do you think the roster gets trimmed even if they only have two preseason games considering they wouldn't probably need 90 players? Yeah, that's one of the things, you know, when, when you look at that, that four-game preseason or what would have been a five-game preseason for the Steelers, um, you know, essentially in three of those games, your starters aren't playing very much, if at all. Um, you know, so you need those back-end guys to kind of fill out the, the, the roster. And, you know, that's where you find guys. You know, you, you see a guy – uh, he, you know, he's been running on your, your, you know, fourth string throughout training camp. All of a sudden he goes out there in a game situation and he's dominating this other team's fourth string guy. So you bump him up to the third string the next week uh, and you give him a chance to do that. Oh, he, he, you know, he dominated those guys as well. Now you bump him up to, 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 you know, the second string and play against the other team's second string guys. We saw it with Tuzar Skipper last year. You know, Skipper was, was way down the depth chart for the Steelers. And he kept going out there and beating the guys who were, you know, on the other side of him, beating the four-string guys the one week. He beat the third-string guys the next week. You know, he went out there and held his own against the second-string guys the following week. That's a situation that if they would have not had a training camp or if they had not had preseason games last year, Tuzar Skipper probably gets cut, you know, in the first wave of, uh, of cuts and is, is uh, you know, on with his life's work at this point instead of being on the Steelers roster. It's a great point. And so I, I agree with you. I think the preseason, although fans hate it because it's not attractive, players hate it because it's a risk of injury. You can't say it doesn't have value with the organizations and especially the coaching staff when it comes to figuring out who's going to make their team. So Dale, that's a good show. That Really good insight. I really appreciate your time. I recommend everyone that's out there listening, check out DK's Daily Shot. That's every morning. You, when you wake up, it'll be there for you. If you follow us on all our platforms, you won't miss a thing. I'll be back tomorrow talking some Pittsburgh Pirates. Should be exciting. They're actually playing baseball, or sort of, at PNC Park. We'll talk about it. Have a good one, everyone. Be safe.